Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. That's me. Okay, you got it. You know, you were selling it for a while, and it was great, and now it's just... It was great. You hated it. (laughs) Well, now I hate this. Now I realize what I lost. Now it's expected of me, so now I'm going to phone it in. Okay, okay, well... I'll it's stop. Me. I'll stop. I'll stop giving you the prompt then. Next I'll, time you I'll, say, "Am I close?" There's always conversation. I'm gonna go. That's me. We <laughs> <laughs> keep no. getting more and more <laughs> disdainful. Next time I'm gonna say, "And my co-host Connor Rebush. Thanks for joining me, Connor. We're here talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a middleweight bout between Jack Hermanson and Joe Pfeiffer." And then, uh, you know, we'll work and from then. There. And then I'll go. <sighs> and no, no, that's just, me. No, just, just the sigh. sigh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just the weary sigh. As somebody else pointed out recently, I hadn't really thought about it, but the UFC kicking off 2024 in style with back to back to back middleweight main events. They really thought they had something with uh, the Strickland buzz. Yeah. And they're in like, fact, you know what? People are not going to be able to get enough of these middleweights. In fact, they started the year off with a light heavyweight bat. So we got light heavyweight, middleweight, middleweight, middleweight. Yep. Just the most unenthusiastic way to kick off a year. And on both of these last two cards, those middleweights sitting directly above a much more interesting fight and certainly much more entertaining fight in either the lightweight or featherweight division. Yeah. And uh, last week, uh, how, how how far were you into uh, Delidze uh, Imovov before you were like really, really wishing that they had made Moicano Dober the main event? <laughs> How far? How long did it take? Six minutes. Because yeah, the, the first round of that fight was quite good. And then it was clear that uh, Imovov was going to take round two entirely off. Yep. And you watched that first round, the way he went for the finish, and you were like, uh, this division is close enough to heavyweight that I have a feeling I know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to get very tired. And. Uh, yeah, Hanato Moicano, Drew Dober absolutely should have been a five-round fight, unquestionably. Yep. That was and, a great uh, fight. Ige Feely, why not make that a five-rounder? Sure. Has Feely ever had a five-rounder? Give the guy a goddamn chance. He, I don't think he has. He has not. I don't believe he's ever been in a main event, whereas Andre Feely would be a great fight night main event fighter. Yeah. 
reliably like exciting. You know, he's been putting in the work for a very long time. Always yep. a tough out, even when you expect him to lose. Like, come on. Yeah, there's nothing about Andre Feely. There's nothing about Donald Cerrone that Andre Feely does not also have other than yeah. a cowboy hat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there is something he has that Jack Hermanson and Joe Pfeiffer do have, or something that, that Andre lacks, and that is uh, an additional 40 to 50 pounds of weight. Yes. And so, unfortunately, it's Hermanson Pfeiffer in the main event. Yep. So let's let's go ahead and dive in, talk about this Hermanson Pfeiffer fight. Um, mm-hmm. It is... Very clearly, I would say, too much too soon for Joe Pfeiffer. And also could quite easily be a fight he wins. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said it that way. Because I agree, and I have already been sorely tempted to pick Joe Pfeiffer (laughs) by just basically picking against Jack Romanson. But yeah. But yeah, it's it's such a huge step up in terms of experience and well, and just the way Pfeiffer fights, like yeah, this man really struggled to um, maintain control of Abdul Razak Al Hassan, yeah, and to control the. Uh, range and exchanges of that fight i he he did better than he has before yeah it was it was a much and he did it you could tell he was working on it in camp because he did it particularly well early it it was a much more controlled performance for pfeiffer than he's ever had before yeah but that also just goes to show where he's working from and where he's going you know it's it is uh, to be like, man, he only had like three or four 50-50 exchanges with Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and managed to understand that he should just take him down and or, uh, you know, slip and then stay right back into the pocket. That's really good. Mm-hmm. But it's also not the kind. It's yet to look like a uh, you know the kind of the kind of fight we've seen Jack Hermanson have on several occasions, where it's just like, oh okay, I I I am more technical than you. I can just fight a safe, consistent fight where I don't put myself in in danger. Yeah. You know, Piper still feels like he's he's a very jittery fighter. You know, he's he's just inexperienced. Yeah. Compared to Hermanson. I mean, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he clearly has the potential to adapt and improve as he ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I considered that, um, I would say a cautious, uh, gave me a cautiously optimistic feeling about Joe Pfeiffer, that Al-Hassan fight. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you point out, there were some problems. I, I think... Um, you know, he. This is both to be expected. I can't tell if it's it, it's a, it's some bad signs mingled with good signs. That his game plan was really on point early. Yeah. 
against Al Hassan. Uh, he was avoiding the low kicks that Al Hassan had. You know, he was maintaining his distance really carefully. He was keeping his combinations short and simple. Um, and slowly building up the pressure. And yeah, then he got into some a couple messy exchanges. That's going to happen. Hit some nice takedowns. The longer the fight went on, uh, the messier it got. Yeah, and which I, I think partly is maybe a guy who's never done any game planning at all. Yep, not being able to stick to it. Partly though, you gotta wonder if the guy who like knocks everybody out in the first round and a half <laughs> maybe just has a habitual tendency to uh, to get a little tired and 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 lose focus as the fight goes on. Yeah, that that definitely concerns me. I mean, I think that. Uh, I think it was uh, Miguel on Twitter. Um, Miguel Class, uh, who was bringing up that you could hear Pfeiffer's corner being really specific, trying to course correct him, and that you know he would generally. Listen, but it was mostly like it, it was an example of just really good pointed cornering of like, don't overthrow, don't headhunt. Yeah. Don't, you know, all that kind of thing. And I, and I think it's just like, this is a guy who has a lot of brawler instinct that his team is trying to get out of him because the athletic potential to be an elite fight, fighter is there, but it will yeah. need focusing. Yeah. Because I would also say, like, you know, if we talk about, we talked about Drikus Duplessis a lot lately. And, uh, you know, you could, you could argue that Duplessis has a very brawler mindset. But, Duplessis is also just really rarely grounded and consistent with his ability to reapply himself Yeah, in that way. And most fighters who try to swarm inside and trade heavy shots and just be a bit messy and, and bully people are not nearly able and capable of reining themselves in to do that over and over again as somebody like Duplessis is. Oh yeah. And I don't think that Joe Pfeiffer would be one of those exceptions, you know. Yeah. I, I get the feeling much more that he is a dude who the 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 more he gets unfocused, the more he brawls, the more he has 50-50 trades and the more he's likely to burn himself out. Yeah. All that being said, I mean, and that is a path this fight could go. Yeah. Because um, Jack Hermanson, sort of the, the, the book on Hermanson for quite a while now has been that, like, he has, A, an athletic ceiling. Yeah. B, um, he, he knows that he has an athletic ceiling. So he encounters a certain there is frequently in Jack Hermanson's fights a turning point where, you know, he tries to wrestle his opponent and then he just like bounces off like he tried to take down mm -hmm. a marble column 
and then a little bit of panic sets in. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but I, we have also seen that this can be channeled into Jack Hermanson's innate scrappiness and that he will slug it out if he has to. That Marvin yeah. Vittori fight in particular was just not going well for Jack. And he fought really tough and created a lot of counter opportunities and put together a lot of combinations down the stretch in that fight. Didn't Wasn't quite enough to net him a win, but it was a valiant effort. And that is something you have to recognize. If So you, don't, you, you can't allow yourself to think that because you've seen Jack Hermanson freak out a little bit when somebody way more powerful just bonks him. Mm-hmm. You, you have to keep in mind that he is actually very mentally tough and uh, he will brawl if he has to. He's a bit like, and with, with more, you know, more willingness to brawl, I would say, uh, and less willingness to just control. He's a bit like a, he's a bit like a middleweight Neil Magny in that. Yeah. Um, cause especially I think early in fights, you will see Hermanson hit that, hit that athletic wall, like you're talking about and have the panic right? where he's a fighter who, you know, he will go out with a dedicated plan out of the gate and be like, Oh shit, this guy's really strong. Yeah. I, I have to, I have to reconfigure and rethink because the things I thought I could do, I'm not going to be able to do. Yeah. But if he doesn't get overwhelmed immediately uh, to the point that he is put out of the fight, you know, if he doesn't go the uh, Jared Cannonier route, then. Yeah. That was maybe the worst implosion he's ever had. Yeah. Or the Roman Delidzi route, mm-hmm. which is all was also rewatching now a uh, very yeah. Jack Hermanson against South Paws. Uh, and Jack Hermanson against Big Beefcake. And, there's, and, there's a moment yeah. in that fight where he gets Delidze down. Delidze sweeps him off like an yeah. armbar attempt. And then you see Jack Hermanson like running to re- regain control yeah. of Delidze's uh, waist as he stands back up. And you can like see it on his face. He's having to like reach super far just to get his arms around the dude. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Ugh! he's like straining so hard not to get a takedown, not to advance position. Just to get his arms around the guy. Yeah. To try to control him. The, yeah, the moment happens relatively early in that fight. Yeah, and in, in, in both that and the Cannoneer fight, um, it, it, so unless somebody can just kind of suddenly overwhelm him, even, uh, even good athletes, even better athletes, even other good fighters... We'll have to have a very difficult fight with Jack Hermanson because yes. he will find the way a way to reground himself and calm down and fight his fight, even if it's not the best fight, even if it's you know like the Martin Vittori yeah. fight uh, or the Sean Strickland fight. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think Hermanson is really a great adjuster. I just don't think his skill set is actually that deep. Yeah. He's one. He's sort of the. He's sort of middleweight's resident generalist. He he's also been always been a fighter who really has to when he if he's going to flow at all as a striker, which yeah. is rare. He has to be able to establish his jab. 
Yes. He is one of the best cases of uh, a guy whose game simply doesn't work against Southpaws. Yeah. Because it should. It should. It should. To be clear, he should keep his jab going, but he abandons it when he's fighting a lefty. Yeah. His whole game falls apart because, as and you it, said, that jab is essential. And it's not a great jab, honestly. Like, it's not a bad jab. He knows how to use it. I mean, that's he, the important thing. Yeah. He knows how to use it, but it's not a great jab. No. It is not a jab that commands respect. No. It is a bit like, you know, not to go back to the Neil Magny comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a bit like Neil Magny's jab, where... Even the better version of Magny's jab, where he's just not a really a sharp puncher. Yeah, where it's like, it, it, he has... he ha Magny has length more so than Hermanson, so that people get hit mm -hmm. by his jab and are like, oh my god, what? Yeah. Okay, I gotta rush in and, and clinch with you. But fighters who have just hung out with Magny out at range find that he has this sort of like he does this sort of double chambered cyclical jab thing where it's it's predictable it doesn't have a lot of snap to it mm -hmm. and it can be worked around hermanson's jab is a lot the same where it is yeah he knows how to use it it's not bad but it it doesn't you know it, when he has to fight a fight where he is just going to be forced to stand and trade with somebody yeah he either has to be way better than they are with establishing his boxing with a boxing game, mm -hmm. or he is going to be nip tuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like Sean Strickland's jab is much crisper than yeah. Herman Hermanson's and Strickland's not a power puncher by any means, but there is something about Hermanson that sort of screams unathletic yeah. <laughs> when you see him landing punches. He just doesn't, have a lot of pop. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It's just it, it's difficult to figure out because yeah, here's the here's my feeling is that, uh, like I said, I don't think Jack Hermanson's a great adjuster. No. I don't think he's a good adjuster. Um, but he will turn to different things and stick to them. You know. Mm -hmm. And if you find something that, yeah, I would say if you find something that works, he will, yeah, he will, he will ride it. Yeah. And in the same way, I don't think he's a particularly subtle game planner. I would not put Jack Hermanson even close to the category of guys like Volkanovsky, Bilal Muhammad, like, no, yeah. Uh, in terms of just how well they prepare or like Islam, Makachev and Khabib, sure. like those guys were fantastic, both fantastic game planners. Uh, Hermanson is much more along the lines of Nunez Pena too. Mm -hmm. Let's do something like really big as like a, so he, he tends to take like a, a route that is like, so the obvious strategic uh -huh. idea. It's like the strategy Joe Rogan would think of. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Joe yes. Rogan thinks your defense is good when your hands are up and Joe Rogan thinks if the other guy punches hard, you should go on the back foot and try to outmaneuver him. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. So that's what I expect. I expect this to be a Jack Hermanson trying to do to Joe Pfeiffer what he did to Chris Curtis. Mm -hmm. Cause that seems like the, I'm not saying it wouldn't work. I'm just saying it does seem like the dumb guy's strategy, you know, like frequently yep. the, the right idea against guys who pressure you is to maybe try pressuring them a little bit, but a guy like Jack Hermanson's never going to think of that. Yeah. This guy or if he does, he's going to try it for a moment and get hit yeah, really yeah. hard. Yeah. 
and be like, okay, no, 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 no. Not Again, that. I don't I don't think he has the actual depth of skill to to do more sort of nuanced game plans a lot of the time. Because in order to pressure Joe Pfeiffer, that would require him to be, you know, comfortable like using his jab to drive the guy back and like stepping into range and and holding his ground and trusting in his defense and his durability and like these things Jack Manson just doesn't like doing. Yep. Um but that is what I fully expect Jack Hermanson to move around and make Joe Pfeiffer come after him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that'll probably work to some extent. Yeah. But uh, I also think it's maybe not the best approach. Uh, like, I don't, know if, I don't know if you really want to give Joe Pfeiffer a lot of uh, leash to run on. Uh, to let him build momentum, to let him pressure and set you up. Again, he is not a crude fighter. No. Not as much as you might think at first, looking at him getting all these early knockouts. Like, he does have a notion of what the proper distance is. He knows how to feint. He knows how to put together a, some decent short combinations. Um, he knows how to set his shots up. And so giving him an opportunity to pressure. The The main problem, though, I think, is that Clearly, the kicks were some of the most effective strikes uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan landed on Joe Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And Jack Hermanson is a good kicker. But the more he is pushed into fighting off the back foot, the less opportunity he is going to have to actively break Pfeiffer down in the early going. Yeah. Um, so it just feels like this could be a fight where Hermanson survives and, and his gutting it out late is actually what wins it for him. Um, but thus far, the only reason that is the case as far as I see is because of Joe Piper's inexperience because yeah. thus far the gutting it out has allowed Jack Hermanson to make fights tough down the stretch, but has never actually enabled him to come back to win. You know, he's a guy who like he runs into trouble early and his his main power is sort of to stick it out. Yeah, but he doesn't wear people down uh, if he doesn't have an advantage right from the start. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that Shabazian fight he won and how that but, started. But that's Shabazian, you know, like, yeah, that is somebody. Nobody that collapses like Edmund Shabazian. Yeah. And but I mean, that, that is a question. It's, for Joe Pfeiffer, though, because yes, yes, nobody tra- collapses like Edmund Shabazian, but Joe Pfeiffer has just literally never had a chance to collapse. Yeah, you know, he goes out there and he knocks people out early. He's been he has been three rounds one time in his whole career, and that was his second pro fight. Yep, and. So not at the, not at this kind of high level. No. So it is really like there's a very this is five rounds. Yep. There is a very good chance. I mean, I expect my basic outline is Joe Piper is going to go out there and he is going to crack Jan- Jack Hermanson really hard. Yep. He's going to hurt Jack Hermanson. I mean, Very Marvin, Vittori, Marvin Vittori dropped Hermanson in the first round. Yeah. And <laughs> so Joe Piper is very capable of doing better. Yeah. He's going to hurt jo- Jack Hermanson 
very early in this fight. I have no doubt about that at all. And if he gets excited and decides to start pushing for the win, especially if he starts trying to push for a submission win hmm. over Jack Hermanson the way he did Abdul Razak al-Hassan. Although I think I think that was a tactical decision. It, it was a good tactical decision, but, you know. I don't, I don't know if he would come to the same. Uh, I mean, I suspect that was something he worked on. His takedowns were yeah. pretty good, actually. They were like, no. it looked like something he'd been training. Sure, but Hermanson is really scrappy on the ground. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I'm not sure yeah. if that's the kind of thing you'd prepare for Jack Hermanson, knowing. No, that, like, no, it's true. He's one of the division's better grapplers. It's true. I just wonder how much, you know, when. When Pfeiffer is in the middle of like, oh, I have, yeah, I have yeah, hurt yeah. you. I'm going to try to end to end the fight. How selective his decision making is. Will it be something that, oh, I worked on my grappling for Abdul Razak Al Hassan, and so I knew to go for that against him, or is it? I've been working on my grappling a lot lately to round out my game. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to show it off in this fight when I had somebody hurt. Yeah. Still, yeah. like, I could envision it actually working for him just because I think he's probably much stronger than Jack Hermanson. Yeah, no, I think he is. But, but it could also be the kind of thing, a, a decision he makes under duress if he's feeling the pressure and he's being he's starting to wear out. And yeah, it's just, a, just uh, that he makes under the thrill of it. He's just like, ah, I can put this guy away. And it's like, well, Jack Hermanson's really tough. Yeah. Are you really good enough to put him away? Let me and put it this not, way and, and and see if you agree with me. If Joe Piper had had one fight against decent, even like all Hassan level competition that went into the third round and he won, you'd feel pretty good about picking him over Hermanson, right? Yeah, especially if he was able to just look like powerful into the yeah, third round. Just for the power edge. You'd be like, well, that's not the type of guy Hermanson beats. It is it is totally to me the inexperience of Joe Pfeiffer. Yeah. That makes this uh, a matchup he very well may lose. I... I'm taking Pfeiffer, by the way. I'll just say that, so... Well... You know what? I will, I will, I will stick by the old dog. I'll take Jack Hermanson. Sure. I do not think that Pfeiffer is as creative a grappler as Roman Delidze who was really able to shock Hermanson on the yeah. ground. He's obviously a much better wrestler than Roman Dolidze, but... Much better but, wrestler than Roman Dolidze, but not, I think, the level of grappler, of of creative grappler. Yeah, so. Dolidze is just weird. He's really strong, and he has strange ideas, and yeah. they they almost designed to freak a guy like Jack Hermanson out on the ground. Like, what are you doing? No, no, Yeah, you know... <laughs> Like getting your leg caught in like a, a sand trap or something. Actually, Jack you know what? No, I'm I'm taking Pfeiffer. You're gonna pick I've Pfeiffer. I thought about this a couple more times. Yeah. And I just can see Jack Hermanson getting hit and falling down with his hands up over his head. Yeah. And in that way he has. And just getting trounced right then. The initial there. moment of panic could be the end yep. of it. Yeah, that's just what I see. I can just yeah. see it too clearly. 
I can see a, a fight that Jack Hermanson rallies in the third round. Yeah. And turns the whole fight over and takes it. But I can see more clearly him getting hurt badly early. So I'm just yeah. going to. All right. Hermanson opened at plus 171. He's up at plus 211. I tried to talk myself into it. Sorry. Sorry, Jack. I love you. I love watching you fight. Yeah. But. Uh, Pfeiffer opened at minus 222. is currently at minus 242. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Dan Ige, Andre Feely, and this is this is a great fight. Yep. Um, I love that Feely is getting this kind of fight off of a win over Lucas Almeida. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that Lucas Almeida fight was bullshit. Honestly, it never needed to be made. It was. I'm glad Feely got the showcase. And I'm glad it turned into something good for him. Mm-hmm. But Andre Feely has been a borderline top 15 featherweight for the last seven Ten, years. Yeah, coming up on a Six decade. Years. Basically, ever since he lost, he, basically since he beat Mowgli Benitez, and I mean, and was losing to Yair Rodriguez and Calvin Cater, and barely mm-hmm. lost to Michael Johnson. Like borderline, the borderline top fifteen are the like Michael Johnson loss and the Joe Anderson Brito yeah. loss. And some Where of those like, are just unfortunate. Like the Michael Johnson yeah. fight, that could have easily been a Feely win. It was exactly. like exactly like he's been borderline right there, mm-hmm. and he's been borderline right there for almost his entire UFC career. Yep. And Danny Gay is a, a guy right on that border with him. You know. Yeah, has maybe netted some bigger scalps, but yeah. Uh, but, is also yeah not clearly not the elite of the elite exactly and for Feely we've seen you know I think we're finally seeing what looked to me at least last time out and this is I think a very good sign for him is we're finally seeing some real comfort Mm -hmm. from Feely because I don't know that Feely's ever been a fighter that has looked comfortable despite his long tenure of being a very good scrappy competitive fighter Mm -hmm. he's also been a fighter that i've always felt like you know sort of the the last of an older one of the last vestiges of an older meta game of uh of mma striker who Mm -hmm. doesn't go forward all that well and doesn't go backward all that well Mm-hmm. And is really at his best when he's planted and getting to have 50-50 exchanges. Um, whenever Feely has to move around, he looks a little uncomfortable and a little unsure of himself. But that fight he had against um, Lucas Almeida, it was kind of it was goofy because he came out doing this like goofy capoeira thing. Yeah, he, he gave a bunch of weird, different yeah. dance dance moves and looks as part of his pressure. Yeah, but that also felt like 
Andre Feely being comfortable enough to yeah. like try something and have some fun. That yeah, that definitely felt like him being relaxed. Yeah. And that's good to see and it it creates good questions for this fight because I think I, I might lean this way anyway, but I think the classic version of this fight, I picked Danny Gay. Mm-hmm. Because Danny Gay is very comfortable having one kind of fight. Mm-hmm. Which is the kind of fight where he gets to be the pocket counter puncher. Who has somebody else come to him. And he gets to line them up for big shots. And as long as he can consistently control that kind of fight, he does well in it. You know, and it's not the it's not the broadest game plan. So there are still plenty of fighter. You know, there's even Nate Landwehr having some hesitation and being like, well, what if I just don't come to you that much and try to be a, a little more pick my shots specific right made that fight more difficult um or fighters who can take something else to him like Movsar Ivlowev can take you know who, who can take something other than just striking to Danny Gay and do it consistently with pressure or Josh Emmett can go out there and move in and out and match Ige and even exceed Ige for power and create dynamics where Ige is getting his chance for pocket exchanges and just getting hit harder. There are a lot of ways to take Ige out of that game. It's not the most well-rounded game, but he's got a point where he's comfortable. And Andre Feely, I think classically, would come to Danny Gay given the opportunity to pressure and do it with a game where he leaves his chin up a lot and overextends himself a lot and can land clean combinations and can be a little creative, mm-hmm. but creates a lot of defensive openings as he does it. But a more comfortable and considered Andre Feely who might pick his spots and be a little more crafty and a little more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Danny Gay leaves a lot on the table. Yep. So for me, for me, there is the particular fact that Andre Feely has always been pretty good at fighting counter punchers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because he's always had a good jab, even if it is sometimes like stiff and awkward. Like there's something about Andre Feely's timing that often feels a little stilted. Um, rather, I think it's that he, you see the tension, like he tends to push mm-hmm. his punches. Yeah. Um, and kind of linger at full extension more than other fighters. Yep. But it's a good jab and he does a good job of fainting and playing off of it and is really good as like a tall man counter puncher when he triggers a back foot opponent to counter him. Mm hmm. Uh, that is pretty much what happened with Lucas Almeida. Yep. That is what happened when he fought Shaman Morais. Yeah. Um, a lot of the most impressive Andre Feely moments are drawing a counter out and then just crushing the dude for overswinging on him. 
And that in particular, something that could work yeah. <laughs> against uh, Dan Ige, who is very much at his best as a counterpuncher. In fact, and overswings and overswings. And I think a big part of his uh, Ige's difficulty against Bryce Mitchell was the fact that Mitchell didn't give him a lot to counter. Yeah. And it sort of uh, emphasized to me the fact that Ige, he's like the, he's like a, a middleweight in this division and that he has like a pretty narrow, like he's, he's good in his skill sets, but they're the connective tissue is not really yeah. developed. He doesn't really have a range striking game. No, he doesn't at all. Really? Honestly. Um, and not given anything to counter. It was just like leaping in with overhands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, it worked decently well because Bryce Mitchell's striking defense is bad, but yeah. Um, it was pretty one note. And outside of that, you know, the good part of his boxing game is his counterpunching. Mm-hmm. Could work. You know, it's not like you can't counter Andre Feely. Yeah. Charles Jordan, Nathaniel Wood. A lot of guys that clip yeah. him hard in the pocket, but he also tends to find big moments against those guys. Uh, it also sounds like a style of fight where if he sticks to his guns, and this is really my concern with like picking Feely in this matchup, it's one of those matchups where it's like, this is a good one for Andre Feely, but mm-hmm. like he's got to fight at a level of consistency I don't often see from him. Yeah. To actually convert that into a win. But one of those things that he really should stick to that slots right into the style matchup is his kicking game. Yeah. Feely is significantly bigger than Danny Gay, who is very much limited to a close boxing range. And he's probably going to get put on the back foot a decent amount. And Andre Feely is a great kicker. You know, he uh, like this could look like that fight with Daniel Pineda, hopefully minus the eye poke mm-hmm. where he was just shredding Pineda with body kicks like uh, he's a powerful kicker. He is. So, yeah, I mean, I am I have been tempted and decided to take a flyer basically on Andre Feely. But I, I have to emphasize that it is like. It, it, it will require a consistency. I'm just hoping it's his night, basically. Yeah. Sometimes Philly has those. He's capable of it, but he is not often the most consistent round-to-round fighter in the division. He really has a tendency to get um, locked into like a single track mm-hmm. or fixated on a certain kind of exchange or whatever. He really has a career-long tendency to kind of meet his opponent where they're at. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Ige yeah. just because, like I say, I also just feel like there's never – it's rare for me to feel like Feely has found a fight that he is really, truly comfortable yeah. and happy having. And more than more often than not, outside of Chan Sung Jung and Bryce Mitchell being very, very good grapplers, yeah, what it's taken to beat Dan Ige – is or Mozart Evelowev rather. Uh it, it's otherwise like can you really consistently outpunch him and keep him on the end of stuff? Yes, and I just or, don't think that Feely or completely outgrapple him. Or completely outgrapple him. I just don't think that Feely is going to completely outgrapple him. And I don't think that yeah. he's gonna keep him on the end of things. I think that 
Feely is going to take the he's going to take the front foot given to him, mm-hmm. and he's going to do like you know what he did against Lucas Almeida is nice. Uh, doubtless he's going to get some good work done. Yeah, pr- pressuring Daniga. Yeah, but it was also kind of a lot of movement to eventually crash the pocket on Almeida with something wild. Yeah, and surprising. Yeah. And I just think that that's the kind of place where Danny Gay almost always gets he succeeds where yeah. he's most comfortable. It's, and it's really it's, hard. It's, to, it's also to Andre's detriment that like this is not going to go the way the Almeida fight went because Danny yeah. Gay is one of the most durable people on the planet. Yeah. So like, I can recall one time I have seen Danny Gay buzzed. Yeah. I don't even think he was knocked down and it was in the uh it was in the uh Josh Emmett fight which yeah right you know <laughs> he took a flush Josh Emmett right hand or left hook whatever it was and was like ouch <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah he's not going to just like get a perfect moment and crush Danny Gay it just doesn't happen if it does it would be mind blowing because yeah. you know possible it's all everything's possible but yeah that's what i mean like it the win is really really achievable for andre feely Mm -hmm. but it seems like he would have to walk a really pretty narrow path to do it so i want to pick him because i hope it happens i think danny gay is probably the the smart pick yeah open at minus 165 he's bounced up and down a little but he's still right there Feely opened at plus 147, and same again, got up as high as plus 167, but he's currently quite right back down at plus 147. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's a, it's like... It's, it's a great it's, fight. Yeah, it's a fantastic fight, and even when the dude is at a higher level, like, it's always a fun fight with Andre Feely. He is always a serious challenge. The, these um, are borderline elite action fighters. Exactly. And and for that because Ige has reached slightly uh greater heights than Feely, it feels like a well-deserved opportunity to get a a good scalp in his collection. Mm-hmm. I, I mean it should be noted too. I you know, I guess this, the Mirsad Bektic felt like a much bigger win at the time than it does in retrospect. True, yes. That was a good win. Uh, but otherwise, the best win on Ige's record is a very suspect win over Edson Barboza. Yeah. And, and you could give him some points for like Bryce Mitchell, where he yeah. probably deserved to win that, but you can understand why he didn't. Yeah. But, but yeah. You know, so comparing resumes at that point, you're looking at, you know, like Andre, I guess you could say Andre Feely's win over Dennis Bermudez was also pretty suspect, but that was a pretty big win. I thought he got that one, but it was close. It was also it an was old Bermudez. Close. It was an old Bermudez, too. Yeah. And otherwise, otherwise like Algio. And Algio. Like, they're not, the, 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 the resume isn't actually dramatically better for EGA, is what no. I'm saying. Neither of these guys beat the best of the best. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight fight, Robert Brishik versus Ihor Potieria. I'm so and, excited to find out from uh, John Anik, at least the the uh, English speaker's closest approximation of how that name is supposed to be pronounced. Because I, I note that uh, this man is Polish. Mm-hmm. And so the eyes deceive. 
There's yes. no way it's as simple as Brishek. Oh yeah, 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 you're not trusting me on that. I see what you're saying. Oh, I, I wouldn't. I don't trust myself with Polish. I have no idea yeah. what the letters mean. They look I, like the they look have, like Roman letters, the, but they don't make the right sounds. The thing I have learned with Polish, and I will say this fully in the knowledge that I'm probably just right, wrong. Rather, <laughs> I'll say this knowing that I'm probably right. No, I'm probably wrong. Uh-huh. Is that if you see a Z, you basically just drop it. Yeah, but there's so many like hidden nasal sounds and stuff in Polish. And if you see a Y, you just drop it. And like a lot of letters in the there are hidden nasal sounds. There 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 are nuances that we will never get because of these these letters. They do actually do something. But if you want to like brute force Polish to be like, eh, you know, close enough. Then you drop the Y and the Z here. Yeah. And you Sify the C. And... I, I, I was at my, my mom's uh, yesterday and she had uh, these like Polish, um, like lemon custard filled donuts. Mm-hmm. The name on the package, these probably came from like Aldi or something. Uh, those Germans, you know, they consort with Poles. The name on the package was like P-A-C-Z-K-I, but it wasn't a normal A. It has like a little tail. And she said her friend told her they were pronounced Ponchi. And I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. There's one of these nasal vowels. It's yeah. probably like if I heard Yoani Yonjechik say it, it's like Ponchki or something. Yeah. But I just can't make the sounds. What do you want from me, Polish people? I can't, I'm like, I can't do it. Yeah, or like it, like you know, CZ. We know CZ too turns into kind of a sh here because it's like sz, but you don't, you don't, you know, you're never gonna be sz does not does not make English English does not make a sz sound. <laughs> so you just have to sh. Brushik, I think that's as close as I'm gonna get. And if it's wrong, I'm just gonna say it anyway. You know what? If it's wrong, fuck you. Don't. Yep. You know, not yeah. not Robert. I'm sure he's fine, but whoever's yeah. out there judging us. That's right. What gives them the right? Ihor Potieria, Robert Brushek. Yes. And, um, well, you know what? <sighs> Can, I, I, I just want to say, before we get into the size and the uh, mm-hmm. deeply felt uh, sadness, mm-hmm. congratulations for Ihor Potieria on finally understanding his role in the world, which is just to be a middleweight. Yeah. You tried to be a weird dude at light heavy, a weird scrappy dude at light heavyweight who only does one thing well. Yeah. And you're just a middleweight. That's just, you know? Yeah. I mean, shit, if his last opponent hadn't been a light heavyweight, it would have been a lot likelier he would have won. Exactly. It and Brishek, so close. And then it was just that the guy was a hoss that really helped him turn it around. And Brishek tried himself to be a welterweight for a long time. Hmm. And if you've watched, you, we, you watched the tape on him. Yeah, he's a beefcake. He is a middleweight. This is a man who has a game that is so one dimensional that even other middleweights are like, mm, I don't know about that, chief. Yeah. He's he's left hook man. Yeah, you know that's basically yeah. it. He's he's pretty good at being left hook man. I yeah, gotta give yeah. him that. You know, he, the guy he, knows he's got tight form. 
Yep. He knows how to set up his shots and he puts together some really long combinations when he's going for the kill. Pretty smooth puncher, obviously trusts in his power and with good reason. Um, but yeah, he's left hook, man. That's, that's most of what he does. And, uh, Ihor Potieria, difficult to say what he does because he did something I've never seen from him ever before in his last fight. And it very, very nearly worked. Yeah. Uh, like it almost felt like a cruel injustice that it didn't net him the win. Cause like, it's like, uh, Imavov last weekend. Like, I'm not going to hate on the guy for gassing himself when the finish was so within reach yeah. that yeah. half of referees working now would have stopped the fight when he was mm-hmm. pouring it on. Um, I'm not going to hate on Potieria for gassing himself when it was like, yeah, he was killing the dude. Yeah. Of course he gassed himself. The finish was right there. That's when you go for it. Uh, and then the guy was just way bigger and beefier and stronger than him and was somehow still there when it was all done. Good yep. move to middleweight. Probably. I, I don't know. Expectation is usually that it won't be a great performance. Yeah. First fight in a new division, but I just don't know what to expect. Cause, uh, he like watched a bunch of like boxing on YouTube and came in doing something I'd never seen before last time. So I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what he's capable of. Yeah. I mean, he had a, he, he was working his jab a lot and then he was basically looking to get on the back foot and strike in counter combinations, you know? Yeah. He was like slipping and countering. Like yeah. His defense was very, very inefficient, but he was really attentive defensively. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost like he'd never actually done it in a fight. He's like, oh, my God, this takes a lot of energy. Like people don't yeah. understand <laughs> how much energy it takes to be slipping and rolling and sidestepping all the time, mm-hmm. constantly bending your knees and bending at the waist and doing quick movements that are um, often like it, naturally they're more tense because they're coming at the the behest of the other guy's initiative. Yeah. So you're like really like quickly twitching. Uh, in a way that you don't have to when you're leading the dance. That was part of the inefficiency that got him tired, but it was there. I really respect the attempt and the attention to things that so many um, better equipped MMA strikers just ignore. Yeah. But I don't know how far it goes uh, or, uh, you know, how well it holds up against serious pressure. And uh, Brishek is certainly a much tighter, more consistent pressure fighter than Rodolfo Bellato was mm-hmm. like Brishek only wants to do the one thing and he's yes. really consistent with it. He is also, um, you know, very accustomed to crushing people immediately. He does have some long fights on his record. You know, it's not like he's yep, a guy yep. who com- completely runs out of ideas and gases when he doesn't get the quick finish, but that is how he usually wins is right away. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take Brishek. I just think he looks like a guy who has a much higher athletic ceiling than Poteria. And yeah. I expect Poteria is going to like think he's slick enough to let Brishek corner him. And yeah, I just think, again, like I respect that the ideas are there. I would love to see that develop. But even against a much more limited striker in Bellato, it was clear that like, He's, he's in there just kind of making it up as he goes along. He's still figuring out how this defense shit works. And a guy like Brichek is going to be capable of putting a lot of pressure on him 
once he gets into range, like make him deal with, again, some some really like well put together, quickly, powerfully thrown combinations. So. Yeah, I do. I do worry, though, with Barishek of just like how, you know, how prepared he is for anybody to ride out and respond to what he's doing. Sure. Uh, also worth noting in a fight like this, Apex, small cage. I'll just make that point before we forget. Yeah. Um, it does feel to me a bit like... Like, Brishik's game is just so... It, it It is... I mean, it's middleweight limited, you know? Mm-hmm. Just feels really like he wants to go out there and be on the front foot punching. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of opportunities to punch him back. Sure. Or kick him or take him down or literally anything. But yeah, it how ready is Potieria to do any of that? It's just a there's a if if I had to pick one, if if I had to build a super limited if I had to build a middleweight, let's put it that way. Yeah. Somebody who wants to do one like chunk of a, a specific phase. I would have it be a guy who hits hard and goes forward throwing lots of punches. It's true. It's just the most effective, simple approach you can have. Um, if you got to pick just one. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I hate to say it because I, I really liked all the, the ideas Potieria was coming up with, but they are ideas that are maybe strategically questionable until you reach a level of skill where you can really rely on them. Like I wouldn't yeah. advise anybody worse at defense than Rafael Asuncao to fight like Rafael Asuncao. I will say had this fight been at light heavyweight, I probably would pick Potieria. Yeah, maybe just because I would trust him to be more used to carrying that kind of weight yeah. and size. Um, but down at middleweight, I'll take Brishik. Yeah, the small cage too. That last yeah. fight against Bellato, where he was, he unveiled his slick approach. That was a uh, travel card. That was a normal sized octagon. Yeah. You know, and he was he still spent a ton of the fight with his back right up against the fence. Yeah, I I agree. My part of me just is looking looks at Brishik and it's just like, man, there's so little here, and. Potieria, I do like what he's trying to do. For sure. And he's a lot bigger. Um, you know, this is a former light heavyweight against a former welterweight. Mm-hmm. But Brishik is a bricked up and he's just super aggressive. <laughs> just <laughs> super aggressive and a really big puncher. Yeah. I mean, like he he's he's basically doing Jack Della Maddalena's game. He is. And that is just hard to deal with unless you're as a back foot fighter. Yeah. Very hard to deal with unless, again, you are really savvy. And I have no reason to think Potieria actually has that level of savvy. He's only just started doing this. Yep. And every time he's honestly been, like, asked to react to somebody's strikes, he reacts pretty poorly. Yeah. So. Left hook man for the win. Yeah. Brishek is the favorite, opened at minus 207. It's currently minus 189. 
Pochi area opened at plus 183, currently plus 167. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Brad Tavares, Gregory Rodriguez. And uh, you just got to take Gregory Rodriguez, right? Yeah. I mean, Brad Tavares is like... With some reservations, I got to say, I mean, a, a lot of the confidence there would be the shotness of Brad Tavares. Yeah. If this was, for example, the Brad Tavares who beat Talis Leites. Six years ago. I know, I know. But what I'm saying is like Gregory Rodriguez, this will maybe be the only fight he's ever had where he basically does not have access to his wrestling and grappling. Something he really leaned into for the first time ever in his last fight. That was like a super positive uh, move from him. He was like, yeah, this guy has no takedown defense. What if I just stay on top of him and crush him? Yeah. Whereas before he was always, yeah, amazing takedown, incredible wild scramble into a magical submission attempt that if it doesn't work, it's like, okay, that's the position. It's gone. This was a the first time I've really seen him try to like dominate somebody on the ground. Uh, yeah. That's just not going to be a possibility. Like no matter how shot Brad Tavares gets, you just can't out wrestle the dude. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Has it ever happened? I mean, I don't even think like, I think you Romero downs in fights, but like you, you can't control him and you can't keep him down and getting the takedown takes a magical level of wrestling. Yeah. Yoel Romero didn't actually ever take him down. I think, he, no, like, he, hip, no, he I think he like hit him with a crazy hip throw, but he got no control out of it. He, Romero hit, took took him down seven times. I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. I was looking at yeah. knockdowns. Um, How much control does it say on the stats? Six I'm minutes curious. and 45 seconds. So yeah. for seven takedowns, that's nothing. Yeah, probably yeah. a lot of that is against the cage too. Yeah, he's just super difficult to out wrestle. He has he he's real- got to have some of the best takedown defense in the entire UFC even now. Yeah, he's, Rock, he's it's like Jose Aldo. Is eighty two percent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there is that, but the problem for Tavares is that he is not even even when he can a he does not throw with a lot of power. No. Um. When he tries to pursue, he often leaves his feet behind him, which takes a lot of the power off of his punches. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the time, when he doesn't pursue, he's just unwilling to bite down and create an exchange. He's unwilling to actually plant his feet firmly. And Brad Tavares is the type, uh, the archetype of sparring partner syndrome. Yeah. He will always let an opponent back into the fight. Always let an opponent back into the fight. Always let an opponent uh, dictate the range. Yeah, which absolutely killed him against Rikis Duplessis. Yeah. Like, seriously, that was because Brad Tavares has technical skill and can land a counterpunch and is, you know, hard to put away. He had all the elements of being a really tough matchup for a guy like Drikas. And he was crushing him right out of the gate, just nailing him, punishing his stupid blitzes. And then he was just like, okay, 
Like there's two reactions you can have to that, to that experience early. One is the better one, I think, for like a potentially great fighter, which is kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Oh, I've got this guy. Like even if it's a more moderate version of kill, 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 where you're like, okay, I'm going to slow cook this guy and never let him breathe now that I've got this early initiative. But for guys like Brad Tavares, the reaction is one of relief. Like, okay. Yeah. Whew, all right. I, I got that one. So I can kind of chill now. And the opponent comes back because that's what people do at this level when you start beating them. They don't let you win. Yep. And then, you know, you you look at Gregory Rodriguez and you can go back to his fights with Chidi and Jakawani. Yeah. And Julian Marquez. Yeah. And see like okay what happens if you give Gregory yeah. Rodriguez the front foot and give him the initiative bad things really bad things <laughs> yeah he will go out there and he will punch you really hard over and over again and he will throw straight shots yep and yeah he'll leave his head online but unless Brad Tavares can knock him out for it. Right. Gregory Rodriguez will just come right back and do it all over again. Yep. Not impossible. You know, Brad, he no. hurt Drakus on the counter. Yeah. Brett Gregory doesn't have a great chin. But Tavares doesn't plant his feet. Yeah. And he doesn't keep his foot on the gas when he has somebody hurt or when he has somebody overwhelmed. Yep. So, a knockout really has to come to him through like pitch perfect opportunity yep. or he just doesn't get it. I mean, what was his last knockout? Christoph Yako in 2018. Yeah. And that was his first since Phil Baroni in 2011. Yeah. You know, doesn't happen often. No. And at that point, if you're going to give Gregory Rodriguez the opportunity to be powerful and go first, even if he's not wrestling and grappling, Rodriguez, he will he will go out there and hurt you. And I, yeah. you know, like I can't look at Tavares's loss to um, Bruno Silva, yeah, last time and just be like, what's what did can Bruno Silva do that Gregory Rodriguez can't do? Yeah. And even a fresher Brad Tavares, the option was there to just get overwhelmed by a big bruiser like Tim Boach. Yeah. Just like, no, I don't care that you know, Oh, you're going to jab me and like fire a low kick once every minute and a half. Like I'm just going to get in your face and hurt you. Yeah. And that's not Brad Tavares just is not mentally equipped to win those fights. Mm-mm. You got to be really clumsy in your efforts to come forward and close him down for it not to work and for him to be able to, like, you know, stick and move and control you. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'll take Rodriguez as well. And I'll even actually amend what I said, given that, like, one of the only people to uh, do any effective out wrestling of Brad Tavares, like, that stat would probably be in the mid 90s, if not for that one Yoel Romero fight. Yeah. His takedown defense, surely nobody else has gotten more than maybe three and a lot less control on top of that. Let me see. Let me see. Brad but, uh, you know, you yeah. could just you could you can conjure so many images of your mind if people trying to take Brad Tavares down and it just 
not even working a little bit. Yeah, Elias has, Theodoru was credited with three takedowns. Uh-huh. And that's the only other one. And he got four minutes of control out of that. Yeah. Almost all of which came in the third round where he and got again, probably a lot of that was also pinning Flinch. Tavares on the fence yeah. and not really holding him on the ground. Yeah. Uh, but Gregory Rodriguez. It's also a fight Theodore lost. So, yeah. Yeah. Gregory Rodriguez is a borderline Yoel Romero level wrestler just because he's, I mean, I'm, you know, nobody's got like that level of accomplishment really Yeah. as a wrestler, but Rodriguez does hit really, really fast, powerful takedowns. Sure. So he might even be able to get a takedown or two in there. I would that I can see it. I, I don't yeah. expect him to get a lot of control or to get a submission, but no, that's the it, only it, way to get Tavares down is to cheat and be if so Rodriguez powerful. Gets a takedown. My guess is that he'll find Tavares getting giving his back to stand very quickly. And if Rodriguez pursues to Tavares's back, uh, given his past results, my guess would be. I mean, yeah. you know, he did. In just his last fight, that really shook out well for him against Dennis Tialulin. Yeah. But most of the time, I, I think what my my guess would be there is that Rod- Rodriguez would find himself over-pursuing and falling off. Because yeah. he likes yeah, to I be... Think he, he really did make a conscious decision to be a sounder grappler in that last fight. Sure. Um, but it was also against a guy who can't grapple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Tavares is a very 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 good defensive grappler yeah and Rodriguez tends to be a guy who gets a position goes for a submission and sells out on it to the point that he either is going to get it or he's gonna the fight's gonna reset because he doesn't care yeah you know he's not he's not trying to hold you down yep Tavares has not been submitted once since 2007 his pro debut yeah um, not nothing even close. I mean, how do you even yeah. go down again? Yeah. Even that is a long shot. But yeah, you got to take Rodriguez because he's he uh, Tavares is going to let him cook. Yep, he's going to let him come forward and put his put his jab on him and uh, put his combinations together. And he's probably not going to punish him hard enough that you know Rodriguez, as you said, he will overextend and hang his chin out there. But yeah. he will also deepen those combinations and make you know mid combo adjustments given the chance. Yeah. I mean, next, next time I come in with that combo, I know when you're going to try to counter me and I'm going to slip and rip a left hook after like the big the, thing with Rodriguez is really unlike Tavares, he plants his feet and he keeps his head centered, yeah. which leaves him there to get hit, but it means he lands harder. Yeah. And it means that he is a lot more focused on the shots coming in at him. Yeah, he's not so incapable of making the defensive moves yeah. from that position. He's just leaving himself in a much more vulnerable initial position. Yeah. Tavares is much more uninterested in being in the pocket. Yeah. And is thus, he doesn't land as hard, but he's also very hard to knock out. Yep. You know? Yep. But right. uh, yeah, power puncher, Gregory, Hobocop. Yep. That's the pick. Odds on the fight. Rodriguez is the favorite. Opened at minus 233. This just stayed right there, dead dead online. 
Tavares opened at plus 203 and is right at plus 203 still. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Michael Johnson, Darius Flowers, and this is a fight that um, <laughs> I would have easily picked, well, maybe never quite easily, but I would have fairly confidently picked Michael Johnson to win. Yes. Um, maybe back as far as 2019 or 2020. I'm not even sure I'd have. To, yeah, maybe 2020, like 2019. Because uh, for a while now, um, Johnson has been deepening as a technical striker mm-hmm. as he loses his uh, more and more pieces of his physical prime. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it really has done a great job, like staving off the serious drop off that you would expect from a guy who is now, I mean, what, what is he like 37 years old? Yep. 37. Wow. Yeah. Blazing fast. I mean, he's 37 fast approaching 38 and yeah. Yeah. He has lost some of that blazing speed. He has mm-hmm. lost some of the power, but he has, he has really gained, uh, depth as a striker. Yeah. His He's footwork very, has improved. He is it, harder than ever to take away from the game, the fight he wants to have. And that, yeah. Like, he is better defensively as a wrestler. He is better offensively as a striker. He is a more technical, more complete, more put-together fighter than ever. He is also more vulnerable than he's ever been before. Yep. And part of that because he's slower than ever before. He's slower. The fact that when things do get to the point where they go wrong, he still implodes means that there no amount of better technical papering, you know, you you can put all the wallpaper you want over the gaping hole in your wall. And there's still a big hole that if somebody finds it, they can just punch right through the wall, you know? Yeah. Anywhere before that, like Jamie Malarkey fight, I think that that kind of fight is a very bad sign for Michael Johnson that like Jamie Malarkey is a capable fighter. He's tough. He's resourceful and he's, you know, but that's not the type of guy who should be able to just stick to it. <laughs> yeah, I will also say the, the Alan Patrick fight. Patrick yeah. hurt him really badly in that yeah. fight. Yeah, yep. That that was a stupid fight. <laughs> that was that was the fight that really, mm-hmm. you know. And then now too, it has to be said, Latter Day Clay Guida. Um, yeah, even that though, it's like at least that's, that's the yeah. type of thing that beats that's Michael Johnson. Type. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But then even then, you have like, man, Michael Johnson was fighting such a good fight against Diego Ferreira, mm-hmm. and he just one right boom. hand out. It, it's not like it was Josh Emmett hitting him this time. No, you know, 
No. Not not that Diego has no power. He's a reasonable puncher, but he just slept him after yep. losing badly the entire first round. Yep. So you, we've reached a point very clearly now where Johnson's uh, technical game already it couldn't quite make up for. Yeah. Like, like already it really just equipped him to be really competitive in fights that he still lost. Now it's a thing where like it feels like his body will just betray him suddenly. Yeah. Uh, even in a, a good technical performance. And you, you can't shore up the leaks for forever. No. On the flip side of that, Flowers, to me, I mean, he's always going to be mm. pretty limited. Like, this is a guy who is, he's here for a short, he, he's here for a short time, not for, and, and for, he's here for a good time, not for a long time. <laughs> I was really hoping you would finish that and just say he's here for a short time, not a long time. Yeah, no, I was get, I almost thought about it. No, <laughs> yeah, actually, Zane, the second part of that sentence is not necessary. <laughs> yeah, he's here for he's here for a good time, not for a long time. Is what I was gonna say. Yeah, I got you. And he has built a. Very, he's taken a very dysfunctional game and turned it into something that works all right because he's a very willing brawler and probably pretty decent athlete under that. It's always hard to tell with somebody who brawls the way he does just because you're never really sure. Are they... He's certainly got some speed and power, but he's very awkward too. He's yeah. like form-wise, like, he's like Jared Gooden, that guy. Yeah, it, it, it's a little bit too just like, are you fast and powerful because you are selling out so hard on everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you be? Would you? Would it feel like you had speed if you were being controlled? Right. Yeah. Because he's yeah. out there just giving his maximum on everything he does. Yeah. And it has shaken out over long. He's done it for long enough that it kind of works now. Mm-hmm. Not, not really works, but kind of works. Yeah. Because it's very much just a, I am going to crash into you throwing hooks. We'll see how many of my hooks you can take yeah. while landing your own hooks. My chin is going to fly up. Like yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to gain six inches of height every time I throw a punch. Yeah. And I will, if I need to, dive in and go for a takedown where I will pick you up and slam you as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. But Or, as was the case against Jake Matthews, miss on the takedown and then just give up a terribly bad position on the ground. Yeah. And if I get, but if I, and if I get to the ground, I will either try to damage you and give up position or... I will press you so hard and with so much force that I can just be swept. Yep. You know? Yep. A real bully. A real bully. And I, yeah, the kind of guy that I would not, in fact, pick to beat Michael Johnson. No. But... Even now, there's going to be some long stretches where Michael Johnson's going to have a chance to look very slick and clever. Yep, yep. And it's just the worrying notion that it might not matter at this point. 
it's just flowers being so willfully aggressive that he will give Johnson absolutely no respect. And yeah, that might mean flowers just get slept. Yeah, it could happen too. Johnson is fast. Johnson's always been a really intuitive counterpuncher too. Yeah. And, uh, you, you, all of flowers, both of flowers, two boxing bouts that he managed to take over his combat sports, all three of his, boxing bouts he managed to take over his combat sports career have led to him getting knocked out immediately you don't say to, to nobody's surprise yeah in boxing they actually disapprove when your chin flies up into the air every time you punch that's considered yeah. a mistake um but in mma that actually hasn't tended to happen nope yep people are so, just so much more susceptible to getting bullied and overwhelmed yeah and uh, yeah, it's a shame. Like, I almost just want to pick Michael Johnson because, like, I just want to imagine it's three years ago and, like, he really should win this fight. Yeah, yeah. It's not fair. The The reasons that to pick against him are have nothing to do with Johnson not being, like, good they enough in the athletic, abstract. Athleticism? They don't have anything no. to do with technique? It is literally just... It's time. <laughs> yeah. It's just time. Yep. Like, this is a man that melted Dustin Poirier at one point. You know? Yeah. It's and, the guy who just cleanly outboxed Tony Ferguson. Yeah. And beat uh, Edson Barboza. Yep. And... And very arguably beat Benil Dariush. Yeah. Ton but, of great performances. And even in the later stages of his career, a ton of really valiant losses that afforded him a chance to show uh just how much craftier he has become yeah in his uh his fighting twilight but uh yep time time waits for no man and michael johnson is definitely old now yeah so uh-huh. i don't know i'm gonna pick him anyway like, it doesn't matter. like yeah yeah i'm gonna pick him like you know with the listener understanding that like you should pick the guy who's 29 yeah, but I would like to see Michael Johnson win, so I have decided to pick him just to will it to happen. He's Darius Flowers, really only tw- he is only twenty nine. My God. Yep. He is He's fit- almost a decade younger than Michael. Yeah, he does have the sort of fifty year old man face. <laughs> man, he he has fit so much career into his life, like. Yeah. This is a dude who turned amateur in 2014 mm-hmm. at 19 and has just been fighting many times a year yep. since then. Four or five times a year in some of those. Yep. Like, it, like I say, he has just kind of willed himself into comfort with a very nonsense style. He fought okay, they didn't he was booked for eight fights in twenty nineteen. He actually only got or five of them, two of them being boxing belts. But yeah, he's just been super active. Yeah, he fought one, two, three, four, five, uh six times in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. He fought or all right, it was just five. 
five times in 21. There's a lot of cancellations in there, too. Yeah. He, he One, has been very active. G4, five, six times in 2018. And then one, two, three, four, five times in 2017. And one, two, three, four, five, six times in 2016. And he fought like 10 times in 2015. Were those amateur bouts? Yeah. Yeah. Nine, 10 times in 2015 after turning pro in December of 2014. Yep. Dude fought literally every month. Yeah. And it may like that is all you see in the cage is somebody who's obviously comfortable what they're doing, even though what they're doing is nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, it's very confident nonsense. And that'll that'll take you surprisingly far in MMA. I, I don't want to burn way more time than we should have, which we're already doing, but I will take this time, just a moment to mention somebody came to me just or somebody came on our youtube the other day uh, after one of the six rounds that's kind of they're like zane doesn't do enough technical talk in the vivi he's not say say jab more like i do yeah and i just want i i I wrote a little note back which i almost never do i I tried to comment on youtube at all but fuck you don't you tell me how to do it but just the rife with spelling errors because you were crying when you typed that's it. right like 60 percent if not more of mma fights are not determined by technique yeah technique is a significant factor but um you want to talk about and te- technique is a thing that can make literally everyone a better fighter yes that's the thing that's why it's useful to talk about and like anybody can stand to improve their technique and it will make a real tangible difference. Yes. But but. what (laughs) if you go in and you say who's bigger, who's stronger, who's faster, who is, who has better cardio and a better chin, who's got a better chin and who is more likely to work in volume and who is more likely to pressure? Yep. And you answer those questions, you are going to solve the vast majority of equations in who's yep. going to win what fight in MMA. Effective pressure in particular is such a big part of uh, calling MMA fights. Yeah. It's such a big factor. And um, simply having those physical attributes you mentioned – uh, make your pressure more effective, even if you're technically bad at it. Yeah. And like, Drikas so, Duplessis is the middleweight champion. Exactly. I, he, I am yeah, he's not you know, we're a good technician. Like Darius Flowers here. Yeah. And I am literally just like, this This guy is a mess. And technically, yeah. Michael Johnson throws a much, he throws a much neater jab. He knows how to fight behind it. He knows how to counter everything. He's just better everywhere. He's got better footwork. All these things. He's a better kicker. Yeah. But Flowers is a more, he is a persistent, high energy pressure fighter who punches hard. He is younger. He is stronger. And he has a better chin. 
And I, you just got to pick him. Like, I, I am very much of the belief personally, and I know this is somewhat to my own detriment, but this is just the better way I've found to operate best over the years. Like, I want my own analysis to, to stay fairly macro level. Yeah. I have done more involved technical analysis in my time. And I don't believe for me, I don't believe it pays off. And I, I appreciate people who do spend more of the time doing it because I, and I think it's valuable and I think other people should do it. I just don't think it's the way I work best. Yeah. And I'm more of a technique focused guy than you, but uh, certainly over the course of my career, if you can call it that doing this, um, it has become less and less the the primary focus yeah. <laughs> of, of how I look at fights because I mean early on I was like, oh I I understand what they mean when they say styles make fights, mm-hmm. ooh and I'm starting to understand what makes somebody fight in a certain way, and it is not about what techniques they're capable of learning. Yeah, like uh, what type of dude are you is a is a often a much more useful question. Yeah, a lot of what I want to do is look at, like, what do I see about a fighter's personality when I watch them fight? Yeah, that means a lot. I mean, it does. You know? Yeah. Like, if you were going on technique, you wouldn't have, you would have picked wrong in so many fights where Michael Johnson was taking on a guy whose only chance was to submit him. Yeah. If you were going on technical skill, but if you pick up on, like, the nervous tick that makes Michael Johnson give up on the ground. Then you would get it right every time. Uh-huh. You know, it's not about understanding things technically. And when it comes to picks like that. Or, you know, we look at Randy Brown, Muslim Salikov last week. Yeah. And Muslim Salikov comes out. And I was suddenly regretting picking Randy Brown. Yeah, like, Muslim Salikov comes out. Low he's, kicks. He's Uh-oh. low kicking. He's being <laughs> busy. And Randy Brown is giving him that middle distance fight that, like, they can both excel at. And you're like, oh, Salikov is being busy in a middle distance fight where he will get the time to be creative. This really could be dangerous for Randy Brown. And then Randy Brown's like, well, I stretch out to next week. Here's a 1-1-2. You know, I'm a decade younger than you. Like, sorry, you know? Yep. yep. And the one one two, sure, that's a nice technique, and that's a nice moment of technique. But Randy Brown's technical application, even his process going into that fight, didn't win him that fight, you know? Yep. It's just... Anyway, rant over... Uh, Rodolfo Vieira, Armin Petrosian, a fight we have talked about before. Oh, yes. And a fight in which I am, I do think technique will play an important factor. Mm -hmm. And which I am flipping my pick. Oh. So in the previous outing of this, I, I picked Armin Petrosian. Because Rodolfo Vieira is learning to strike. And he's learning it well, but he still tends to freeze and he still tends to have to adjust, especially early on. I think we we probably made this comparison then. He reminds you of uh, early days Kamaru Usman a bit. Yes. Like, okay, I can tell this dude's learning the correct shit, but he is very clearly still learning it. Yeah, and even all the way through Kamaru Usman's career, 
there yeah. were moments where he would just be like, okay, think I thinking his thinking about what he's supposed to do after throwing the combination. Yeah, it was never close to as natural and ingrained as anything he did in the wrestling department. Yeah. You could see many fights where Kamara Usman would get caught cold yep. thinking about something all throughout his career while champion. Yeah. And he would get frozen for a second. And that happens to Hadolfo Vieira. It happens, what happens to- in your in if it's your B game, even if yeah. you're you get really good at it, it's still gonna be not your your yeah. natural thing. So I see Vieira going out there and he's fighting behind a jab, he's throwing straight punches. He will like pop into the pocket with some good hooks every now and then, but he still gets frozen up thinking his way through it and he gets hurt. And when he gets hurt, he has to go backwards and panic and often resorts to trying to power his way out of a bad situation and can have things spiral on him pretty badly when that happens. Yep. That Cody Brundage fight, Brundage had a chance to run him out of the building. Yeah. You know, Cody Brundage. So he didn't. (laughs) Yep. But the opportunity was there. So I really wanted to pick Armin Petrosian because Petrosian is really consistent. Yep. And he's really good at finding his strikes and at low kicking and at staying in the pocket and being willing to chain things together and uh, build and create shots that mean something. So that if he can get Vieira frozen up, Petrosian can layer more pieces onto that as the fight goes. Yeah. He sort of fights the way I want Marvin Vittori to fight. Yeah. Not super powerful, but nope. he's pretty quick and he, he really keeps the output up. Yep. And, and uses his full kit at all times. Yeah, and he learns what to do with openings as he gets them. Yeah. The problem with Petrosian and why I'm not picking him, this is just, I, I watched the tape again, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, I can't. Mm-hmm. Is that he fights tall, and he always always wants to hold position and counter. And those two things combined make him very easy to take down. Yeah. He's been, he's been taken down in most of his UFC fights. And you watch, especially his fight with Kyle Bahio, Mm -hmm. where I think Vieira can do a lot of the same things. Yeah. And Bahio, you know, he would have some like tentative fine exchanges out in open space and be testing Petrosian with jabs and overhands or whatever, winging a few strikes in. And the thing would be that Bahio would lunge in, and every time Petro- he would lunge in, Petrosian would have his feet set fairly close together. Like I say, he, he likes to keep a pretty tall stance. Yeah, pretty tall, thin stance and would dig for a hook in the hopes that he could either land and hurt Bahio or turn it into an underhook. But having a tall, thin stance and 
trying to hold position as somebody is diving in at you and dig for something means that you pretty much always automatically give up a hand-connected double leg. You let the person all the way in on your hips before you can react and do make the next move. And Bahia would just get the takedown. And it's something that even in his most recent fights, Petrosian still does that. Yeah. Now, guys like Duncan and Dobson might not have the consistency of somebody like Bahio to take advantage of those positions the same way. Petrosian is tough and he fights out of positions really, you know, he, he does well to fight back. He does well to stay patient and to use, to take his opportunity to fight back to his feet when he can. But he also just got stuck against a good grappler like Bahio. Yeah. And just couldn't find a way out. The 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 easy opportunity never came and he couldn't create a, a more difficult scrambling opportunity. So I just got to take it off of Vieira. Yeah. It's um that makes sense to me. Uh, it makes yeah. perfect sense because Petrosian handled the grappling of say uh, Gregory Rodriguez really well, but as we noted before, Gregory Rodriguez is not going to really fight to hold position. At least yeah. he has not through most of his career. He tends to attack and release. He is, he's got a bit of the alpha male ideology in him where for sure he's going to the ground. And when he goes to the ground, it is to create something where he can immediately hurt you or immediately submit you. And he will be aggressive enough in pursuing that that if if you sc- keep scrambling, he'll just lose position. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was a closeted gay man. Yeah, that's... That well, to maybe. me is the alpha male ideology. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting shirtless on a leather couch with your boys. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought it was a weird remark, to be fair. I was like, why is he talking about this? But I was going to go and go along with you. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's just not. Kyle Bahalio is willing for the to to have a boring fight to win. Yep. And I mean, I don't know. Is Adolfo Vieira willing to have a boring he's fight? Fifty-fifty. But I mean, Petrosian almost lost that Rodriguez fight too. Uh, oh, like, for sure. Yeah, but but that was largely because Rodriguez was cracking him with huge punches between the wild submission attempts, which Vieira might as well. Yeah. But not as, not as aggressively or smoothly not, or comfortably. Yeah. He's going to react worse to the many, many shots he's going to re- get in return. I think Vieira is a more, more attuned positional grappler. Yeah. Uh, and a less attuned striker. Yeah. But the, you know, it is like I, I I did want to pick Petrosian here initially. I'm just I, I I'm leaning enough on the power double leg for Vieira is there, and Petrosian's reaction initial his first reaction to a shot is bad, and his positioning against a shot is bad. Yeah, that I'm 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 edging on the Vieira side of things, mm-hmm. but it is still like I, I love the fight. And I think that it's a fight that Petrosian can win. Yeah. 
Well, we're keeping it interesting, this card. I'm, I, I, we both picked uh, Petrosian last time, if I recall correctly. I believe you picked Vieira last time. Did I? Yeah. Oh, and okay. I, I, you convinced me to, I, I, you convinced me to have another look at it this time. Not, you know, actually with your words, that would be impossible. Yeah. But just the vague remember the memory of your decision. Yeah. Convinced you to have another look at it. Yeah, my well, you're too blockheaded to listen to reason, but there was a sort of intuitive sense that I was speaking wisdom. And it's through the grunts, the, the various grunts and clicks that you made. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> All right, you heard it here first, folks. If your native language includes clicks, no, 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 you're no, an no idiot. Not, not what I'm saying. I'm no, just that's saying cool. That... That's cool. We have a large Hosa listenership, Zane, that is not going to take kindly to those remarks. But, hey, speak your truth. Pal. I'm just saying that you only converse in a proto-dialect of regular human speech. Hmm. Okay. So yeah. Zane thinks you're primitives if you uh, – uh, if your language doesn't sound exactly like his. Zane, by the way, who's so good at pronouncing words correctly. Hey, hey. You know what, pal? I'm not on trial here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll take Vieta again. If you say I picked him last time, sure. No, I don't know. I mean, if you want to pick Petrosian, you can't. No, I like your reasoning. I mean, yeah. uh, I think there's a very clear path for I'm, – I'm obviously apprehensive about it because, you know, Petrosian is just a really, really reliable fighter. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, you just know what he's going to do, and he's going to do it really consistently. And uh, to me, it sort of sounds like – Vieta's either going to have to finish him or really be committed to top control mm-hmm. uh, to beat him. And um, I don't really trust Vieta to do that. Like, I think part of the problems he's had is he, uh, like Damian Maya before him, is enjoying learning the new skills. Yeah. And he wants to go out there and try stuff. True. Um, I don't know if he's reached the point where he will just, like, it's also like, Petrosian's lack of power that makes me feel like I can yeah, just yeah. a little bit more lean Vieira. But yeah, yeah, he's uh, but you know like there's enough volume and he's pretty quick with his hands. Like it, it can make up for power. It will still shock you and make you uncomfortable. Sure. Um, you know Chris Curtis is a harder hitter, but uh, Anthony Hernandez gave Vieta more fits with his strikes than Curtis did because he threw a lot of them and. Vieta is inexperienced and, and yeah. overwhelmed. Well, and Fernandez had the 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 uh, confidence of being able to scramble with Vieta as well. Of course, yeah. But so, uh, yeah, we'll take we'll take Vieta together, I suppose. But uh, uh, not a not a shutout by any means. Not a lock. No. Uh, Vieira opened at minus one eleven. Is currently at minus one thirteen. Petrosian opened at. Plus 101 and is currently at plus 102. So really dead even. All right, that wraps up the main card. But we'll be right back with a little bit of bonus content for our Substack subscribers. So if you are a Substack subscriber, stay tuned. And if you are not, this is your time to sign up. Thanks, everyone who is a subscriber, for helping us stay independent and keep doing the show. We appreciate all of you. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today.
Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.